everybody's in a position of leadership. You can lead up, you can lead sideways. Leadership is just about providing value to people and helping them move forward from wherever they are. You're going to get a lot farther if you're not trying to do it all by yourself. That if you're trying to work with others, asking others for help when you need it and helping others when you can, you're going to get further along. My personal mission is to use the gifts that God has given me to help people expand their potential and achieve more in their life. That's what gives me energy. It's why I love what I do. I love to be able to help people expand their potential. That's what gets me excited to go to work. Earl Kelly is one of the finest examples of all-around leadership you'll ever get to know. As a longtime leader in vector marketing, Earl is a Hall of Famer who has had a profound impact on three separate regions and is highly regarded throughout the company. As the current Northeast Region Manager, Earl is widely respected by everyone under his guidance. As a family man, Earl is an ideal role model, leading an exemplary lifestyle with his wife Mari and their three children. Earl is the quintessential leader, developing a large organization, coaching his children's sports teams, guiding groups in his church, and setting the example everywhere he goes. He believes that everyone can lead, and he shares insights for leadership at work or at home in this powerful conversation, which also features Earl's daughter, Kennedy, with her own closing thoughts. I'm proud to have known Earl Kelly for over 30 years now and to share his story and lessons with you here today. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco Knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. All right. We are here today with Mr. Earl Kelly. Earl is the Northeast Region Manager for Vector Marketing and Cutco, and he's been a key contributor in three different regions in the company as a leader in an executive position. And also something that uh, a lot of people who know both me and Earl might not know is that uh, Earl and I met each other before he was in Cutco Vector. We were freshmen together at Santa Clara University out here in California. And then Earl transferred to University of Pennsylvania after that, went back home and uh, ended up finding Vector shortly thereafter. So it's pretty cool to have you here, Earl. I'm really excited to spend some time with you today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, Dan. Thanks for inviting. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's dive right in. And I'd like to hear a little bit about how you started with Vector. As I mentioned, 
we had met each other, but then you went back, you transferred over to go to University of Pennsylvania, took your talents to the Ivy League. <laughs> and uh, at some point thereafter, I believe your sophomore year, you located Cutco Vector and got started. Tell us a little bit about your beginnings. Yeah, well, I was, uh, I was a sophomore getting done and I was really trying to get some resume experience. Like most students up to that point, I had your typical kind of student job. So I worked, uh, I renovated uh, apartments one summer. I worked on a farm when I was in high school. Uh, currently at the time I was working at a deli making sandwiches and cutting lunch meat. And I just, I'm like, you know, I'm a business major. I want to get experience. At, at Wharton, uh, you know, when you go to the, uh, the, the guidance office, they don't really help you your sophomore summer. I was trying to utilize the resources there and they were kind of like, come back when you're a junior, we'll get you an internship, but you know, go away sophomore. And they didn't really say it that way, but that's kind of way it came across. So I was trying to use my network to get jobs in the city and some type of financial background. Anyway, I struck out like left and right. And so I remember. I remember going back from school being like, I guess I'm working at the deli again. And I was lucky enough to receive one of the direct mail letters that the company sends out. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, well, this is better experience. Um, I actually called while I was working at the deli for the interview and, and, um, uh, and I was excited about it. I, I wasn't sure how good I'd be at sales. I wasn't sure, like I had never really worked in sales before. I mean, when I went in the interview and they asked, you know, well, what kind of, oh, I work with customers all the time, but asking someone what kind of lunch meat they want isn't really, isn't really the same thing, right? <laughs> and so I started because I was really excited about gaining some experience and um, building my resume and pay was a lot more than I was going to be making at the deli. So um, I actually held on to my deli job for about a week uh, to a week and a half, technically probably by the end of my fast start. Because I wasn't sure how good I was going to do. And at the end of a week and a half, I was a finance major. I did the math and I'm like, I'm losing money every time I go to work at the deli. And so I, you know, I went to the owner and I said, Hey, I, this isn't working out. I'm going to, I'm going to go do these, this knife thing over here. And, and, uh, and so that was how I started. I think a lot of people come to realize shortly after starting with Cutco and Vector that the amount they're earning for the time they're putting in exceeds, you know, the other things they might have been holding on to, uh, like right. you're sharing. It's funny you talk about dealing with customers, like asking them what kind of lunch meat lunch they meat. want, what kind of bread they want. People would ask me, like, did you have any sales experience before, you know, working with Vector? I worked at a movie theater. And I'm like, yeah, well, I sold popcorn, but it was pretty easy. It was like, <laughs> Hi, may I help you? Right, right. <laughs> and they'd say, yeah, I'll take a large with butter. Okay, here you go. So yeah, that's about yeah. the extent of my, extent my, experience. my experience, right? Yeah, I, I, and I upgraded them to a large, though, you know, or an extra large, right? You know, so. <laughs> Nice, nice. Well, what were some of the first challenges you experienced as a Cutco rep? I think that, um, well, I, there was the initial challenges that most people go through, which was I had never managed my own schedule. I mean, even though I was at school managing a schedule, this was completely different. And so learning that um, uh, was, was, was something I got a lot better with. And, and I often tell new representatives, when you first get started, if you're not good at it, don't get discouraged by that because it is a skill. And within two weeks, once I figured it out, it was like, oh, this is great, you know? And then learning that, you know, I just got to be consistent with my phone time and stuff like that. The, 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 the other things, um, I often talk to new representatives and say, when you come to the business, you bring a set of strengths and you probably bring some things you need to work on. So, I was really good in person with people. So my demos, I, I think I, felt, I, I built good rapport. Um, I did great with leads. I think that was because of my relationship and rapport. However, my initial challenge, I was horrible at the phone. 
And I wasn't really good at showing the different sets and options and, and helping a customer through them. You know, with the phone, I think it was because I wasn't in person and I would get all nervous. And, um, and so like, you know, I would get a whole bunch of leads. Thank God I did because I was just horrible at the phone. And, and what happened was uh, one of my good friends uh, that was uh, working in the office, he was good at the phone. His name's John. A lot of people know him, John Kane. He was good at the phone but he wasn't good at leads. So I helped him get better at leads and he helped me get better at the phone. And I actually did my phone approach for him. And he's kind of like, I know you and I wouldn't even see you slow down, smile, relax. And so that was a, an initial challenge. And again, that's something, you know, that a lot of people go through once I get good at it. And the show in the different sets, when I, when I first got started, my average order was horrible. Um, I just did a lot of demos. So I sold a lot because I was just, you know, but I had to learn to relax and listen to a customer and ask the right questions so I could show the different sets properly. And they were, they were some of my big ones. Um, now, this really hits um, what I really wanted to share was the, the real challenge I think that I had was up to this point in my life, I had done well at a lot of things and whether that be school or sports. And this was the first job that I couldn't just rely on my talent. So I had, I had started with the company. And the reason I think I struggled with these different areas is because I was relying on my talent versus working really hard to get good at things. And I remember being impacted by a couple people um, who, you know, one, her name was Angel Gilman, I think if I have her name correctly. And she had sold something like $40,000 or $30,000 the summer before. And I just remember going, all right, whatever she says, I'm going to listen to this person, Right. And she talked about how she worked at, at, at showing the different sets and how she practiced it. And when she said practiced and she was an athlete, it clicked for me. And I'm like, I have to practice this stuff to actually get good at it. So mm. I think my, my big challenge was I was relying on talent versus working to get really good at stuff. And then as soon as I made that, 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 that flip, that's, that's when all of a sudden I started getting solid increases in the business. Well, that's really great. The idea of skill development that you've just brought up you even said before getting into it that you've told a lot of reps that you know if they're not good at something, it's okay. Like it's, sometimes it takes a little while to get good at it. And how you worked on your skills with John Kane, you had somebody who was there that could help you mm -hmm. um, with role playing. I think that's a good lesson right there. And then the idea of like relying on your talent, I feel like there's a lot of people that come into any business and you know have a pattern of success and other things and sort of expect that success is just going to happen naturally. And that's not always how it works. With any endeavor, there are things we have to learn and master to be really good at it. And there are times where you might start something and not succeed and feel like, well, maybe this is not for me. But after just a short amount of time and developing the skill, you turn that corner and you get really good. Right. Um, and the scary part for me is I was having decent results. So I was doing okay, but I wasn't doing as good as I could have been because I was relying on that talent. And so uh, when someone else said, treat it like a sport, that's when I was like, oh, got it, got it. I got I to gotta practice this a little bit more than probably what I'm doing right now. That resonated for me also when you said about practicing. You know, I get a chance in the Western region to work with Brandon Brown, who you at least are aware of who he is, one of the yeah. all-time top reps in the company. And he's just so good at his scripts and at some of the different things that he has to say in different situations with customers. And he understands how to handle different situations really well because he's worked on his game. He's crafted his words and his demeanor and he delivers it really well. And when he teaches something, you could always see other reps in the room going like, whoa, that was really good. 
the reality is any of them in the room could be as good as Brandon by just learning the words and learning the demeanor. And uh, for anybody who's listening to this, who's in sales, whether it's in Cutco or something else, there are situations that are repeated over and over again where we have to be good at what we say and how we say it. And through practicing and role playing, we can get good at those things a whole lot quicker than just through sort of slogging through and, you know, making the same mistakes over and over again. So that resonated a lot for me as well, Earl. And to that as well, I would say I had to get over the fear of telling my manager I needed help or telling people ahead of me that I needed help. So I talked about John. Then there was a step where I asked one of the assistants, Hey, I want to work on this. Can you work on it? And that's, that, that's something that I, I think, um, a lot of people don't do. Uh, you know, when they need it, kind of like in most other jobs, you want to hide what you're not good at from your boss. Right. And, and so this was a, an environment where I wanted to, I wanted to seek out counsel from people ahead of me on purpose to go up that learning curve. Yeah. Okay. Great. I like that. Good stuff, Earl. Now I find this interesting is that you went to, what is truly one of the most prestigious universities in America, your Wharton School of Business at UPenn. And then you graduated and you chose Vector as your vehicle for changing lives, as your vehicle for earning income and developing the lifestyle that you wanted. And what were some of the reasons why you chose to stay here after you graduated? Yeah, it's a complicated question. Um, I think there's several layers to that answer, which was so when I got done my first summer uh, as a representative, I got involved in their management training program. And at the time, I didn't think I would be a manager. In fact, I told them that. I said, look, I don't think I'll be a manager next summer because at Wharton, I'll have an internship and I'm a finance major and I'll probably work in that. And it was actually through the direction of my guidance counselor that I chose the path with Vector. I was given the opportunity to be a branch manager, which for many people listening, that's someone typically a college student or recent graduate who opens the office just for the summer. My guidance counselor says, you should definitely do that. That is going to be so different on your resume. And so, but I went, in, went into management experience, even with the idea of, I'm just going to do this for a summer, build up my resume, and then go work in finance. What I realized through a year of management training and leadership training and, and, and by being a manager is that I probably should have been a management major in college and not a finance major. I was good with numbers. I was really good with numbers. And I could have made a career in finance. However, I got more energy and enjoyment out of impacting people than I did out of solving problems or equations or anything like that. And so it, 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 it didn't dawn on me until like, so I'm going into my senior year at this point. I'm not going to switch majors in my senior year because that would probably you know, require an extra year. And, uh, um, but I started taking more management courses, uh, to, to, to fuel that desire to learn to be better. Now, I still didn't know if I was, when I had finished running a branch, I didn't plan on being with the company as a career. But that fall, um, as I started to look at the different options that I had and the opportunities, one of the things that Wharton did is they had something they called, it was lunch and learns, where you would pay, I don't know, $25 and they would have alumni come in and the alumni would tell a group of people, usually, there's usually 15 to 20 of us, here's what my job's like. This is what my job, my first job out of college, this is what it's really like, this is what your hours are like, this is your day's like. And, and then you get to ask them, you'd have lunch with them and you'd ask them questions, you know? So how about this and how about that? And so we had people in from banking, working on the floor of the stock exchange to being financial analysts. And, and so I started to learn, okay, well, this is what life's going to be like. And I remember going into it, asking questions you know, with what, what, you know, Hey, what's your, your philosophy about teamwork at your company? Like, you know, now keep in mind, I'm looking at wall street. So 
there were some people, their reaction was like, it's cutthroat. Yeah, exactly. Their answer was, nah, you, you're kind of like trying to get ahead. Like, you know, you'll stab whoever you need to in the back, um, to get where you need to get to. And, and, you know, and I remember going, all right, well, what's, how about companies? What do they do to personally grow you? Um, because that was something I had gotten used to at Vector. And, and they're kind of like, well, it depends upon the job. But it, like, I remember asking the analyst that question. He's like, you know, the companies realize that most analysts um, uh, are just going to be here for two or three years and then go get their MBA. So they, the companies know you're using them. So they use you. They don't really try and grow you. They just try and work you as hard as you possibly can. And, and so I started to realize, okay, so these are my options. And what clicked for me was when I realized how hard I was going to work, no matter what, I started thinking to myself, well, I'd rather, I'd rather work for myself versus, you know, for somebody else where I have control over my own schedule. I started to think about how much I grew here in the past two years leading up to this point. You know, my branch experience and the training for it, I would say I grew more during that period than I had from any class or experience at Wharton the entire time. And so, so that really resonated with me. And I, and I, and I love the culture the company had, the culture of they were trying to grow me, not just have me produce. Uh, there was a family type atmosphere where people helped each other. We kind of spoke about that. And so, you know, really getting out of college, my game plan was I'm going to go work somewhere for two or three years and then most likely go get my MBA. And I just made a decision, you know what, rather than going into finance, I'm going to do this for two or three years. I'm going to develop myself this way. They've grown me this much so far. What would happen if I spent three years doing this full time and how much could I grow? And then if I'm not happy where I'm at, I'll go back and get my MBA. Um, At the end of three years, I was extremely happy with where I was at. And so there was no path back to MBA at that point. Yeah. Well, you succeeded right out of the gate as a manager and had a lot of great results and made an amazing career out of it. Since you got into management and you began uh, you know, working with the company as a career, what are some of the moments that you feel like have been transformational in your career? I think a couple, let me think. I, I would say um, I talked about my branch experience. So one of the things I learned a lot about was how if I really wanted to be a leader of people and to impact people, I had to learn um, how to put their goals many times ahead of my goals. And so, you know, my first summer as a manager, it was, it was a, the finding moment was when I did something wrong. So what happened was I had these goals that I was going to hit and I was all excited about them and we started off strong, but, but I realized at some point that we weren't on track to do what I wanted to do. And I was doing less than I wanted to do. And I remember getting discouraged. Uh, I remember, you know, not, and, and I still showed up to work every day, but I didn't show up with the same energy that I had did, I did before. And so, you know, that was something where it affected the whole team for about two or three weeks. Luckily, my manager caught it, saw it in me, told me, confronted it and said, you're better than this made a decision to finish strong. And I, and I learned a really powerful lesson about leadership that, you know, when you're in a leadership position, so many people are relying upon you even to, to, to bring energy and enthusiasm when things are going right or wrong. So that was a, that mm-hmm. was a, a big defining moment. I would tell you that the, second, the next summer, which we just talked about, I had just graduated from college and I became a district manager. The next summer, I was in the same position where uh, one person who was, who was supposed to be my assistant manager um, got in a car accident and he couldn't finish working for the summer because he broke his leg. 
And, and so I got discouraged again, but then I, I went back to the first summer. I said, I remember what I did last time. And, and I didn't make those same choices. And I, and I, and, and as a result, we got better and better every single month of the summer. And we finished, you know, one of the top five new offices in the nation, which, uh, you were in that group at that time as well. And so that was like, that was a, a big lesson for me. So that was a defining moment, learning, learning what leadership really is. I like what you said about the leader having to bring the energy to their team, even during times of adversity. I heard somewhere that the leader is like the heartbeat of an organization, right? And you think about your heart, right? There might be something wrong with some other part of your body, but the heart's got to keep beating for the body to live and the body to move on. And, and a leader is like that. They're like the heartbeat. And at times of challenge, we have to have somebody that we can go to for help. Now, right. You can't just dump onto your team or have your team see you being disappointed or negative. Who are people that you went to during those times that were instrumental for you? Well, a couple mentors. You know, one was my direct manager uh, who originally had hired me, and we had a great relationship. And so uh, his name was Tom Cannon, and that was somebody who I I would go to, and and you know, I had learned to be vulnerable where I could share how I felt. Uh, one was John Kane, who I had mentioned earlier. We had started the same summer and we were in management the next summer. And when we graduated together, we had both made a decision. So there was a peer of mine who I felt very comfortable being open with when I was going through challenges. And, and you know, um, we, 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 we made a, a pact of, of, hey, we can be negative with each other and be open. But and as long as we support each other and push each other forward, that was the, the positive thing. And so, um, and then Aldi Leonardo was one of my mentors as well. He was a step above me, so I didn't get to talk to him all the time. But, but if I had reached out and said, hey, can I have five minutes of your time? He would have made five minutes available, 10 minutes. He would have made 30 minutes available for me. And, and, and so, um, you know, not being afraid, I had mentioned this earlier, to reach out when I needed those impact points was a, was a big deal for sure. Yeah. How about some more of your uh, defining moments and just key lessons? Yes. So when I made a decision to be a district manager, um, you can imagine I went to Wharton. My dad, uh, you know, helped finance my education. And so he, he uh, you know, he, he, I remember him saying, so why did we spend all this money if you're going to go, you know, go, go sell knives versus be in finance, right? You know, and, and I talked to him about my reasons and he had shared a story with me. And he said, you know, when I was your age, um, I was, uh, um, my dad wanted me to go to, to college. He wanted me to be the first one in the family to go to college. And I, I could have gone to college, but I told him I wanted to go in business for myself. And my dad became a trash man, like literally like bought a truck, picked up garbage. But you know, when he told his, his, his father, this, his father said, well, if you're going to be a trash man, you better be one of the best ones there ever was. And so my dad built a company of, you know, 40 plus trucks and, and it was a big company and, and he, you know, really pursued, I want to do something great. Right. So my dad tells me the story and he goes, so if you're going to be a knife salesman, you better be one of the best knife salesmen <laughs> there ever was. Right. And I, I remember going, I'm, I, that's my goal, dad, you know? And, and so, and I remember asking him, what's, what's one of the hardest parts of being in business for yourself? He goes, it's easy to let yourself down. That's the hardest part of being in business for yourself. So um, you know, there was a, there was a point in my district career where, and it, this happens to everybody, I think that creates success in their life at some point, or at least most people, you were, you create enough success, whether that's, you have enough money in your bank account, you have enough accolades and you're riding, let's just say a wave of success because of good decisions and good things that you've done. And you take your eye off of growing yourself. You stop trying to grow yourself. 
And uh, you start to ride that wave of success versus continuing to build more success in your life. Um, and that was a defining. It was it was probably about three and a half years into it where that happened to me. And I think that uh, for me, I went to a special conference the company has called, called a Strategic Leadership Conference for district managers. I heard someone give a message and I realized that I was mailing it in, that I really wasn't pushing myself to be my best. And I realized that I was, I was basically going back on my word to my dad to be the best one I could be. Mm. And I made a decision leaving that event it's a funny how events sometimes can can lead to decision moments, and I made a decision that uh, I'm I'm going to be great again, you know. And I and I and I started a path of growth again, where I started reading and asking people questions and and building a new layer of success. And so that was a defining moment, uh, definitely in my career, that helped me, uh, you know, get past. I could have got stuck there and uh, probably not gone very far after that. That is such a valuable lesson. I think that you and I have probably worked with a lot of people who have come to that same crossroads where they've achieved some success and yet they begin riding the wave, as you said, and the success flattens out and it takes a decision, uh, you know, a conscious decision that, you know, this is not who I am. I'm going to keep growing. I believe in the concept that we're all either growing or dying and you're either moving forward or you're regressing. And if you just think about things being flat, it's not a possibility. It's either up or down. That makes you decide, well, I don't want down, so I want up. And you can only go up one way. Yeah. And it takes energy applied in the right spots for you to be able to continue moving up. So you made that decision. You certainly moved your career in an incredibly positive direction after that. And uh, you know, as you look back over these years, what are some of the successes that you're most proud of in your career, in your life that you feel like you can share that also may have brought forth certain lessons that the audience could hear from you? The biggest one, Dan, that uh, it's not one, the greatest successes I attribute would be uh, the people that I, I... So I know your podcast is changing lives, right? And that's my biggest successes. I mean, I can tell you about stories of, hey, when I first got promoted to a division position, I, I moved to a new division and they were the last place division and we came back and won the first place spot in the first competition. And that was really cool. But if I were to tell you what really impacted me, it would be, you know, or there's this guy who was out there. Her name's Mara Fausto. She's now Mara Berghoff. Uh, and, you know, she was in my office that summer and that that happened. And, and impacting her life is more of a trophy to me than, than, uh, than, than the trophy that I had from, from winning that push week, you know? And so when I, you know, one of the, the things that's neat about our culture is because it's a family type environment, and there's a lot of teamwork, we keep in touch with, you, with, with people. So I'm still in touch with people that I worked with 25 years ago, 20 years ago. And I can see what their life is like 20 to 25 years later. And, and I often get to ask them questions. And without fail, you hear so many times, yeah, I, I learned so many lessons at Vector that helped me. You know, lessons like, you know, we just talked about you're either growing or dying. So you got to keep growing, right? You know, lessons like, hey, obstacles don't define you. You have to fight through them. And and so whether it's looking at their careers, um, you know, I have a group of people that have that are now doctors and lawyers and finance, and I have one in the FBI and, you know, and, and, and teachers and, and some are, are, are just parents now. They've had careers, but now they're just parents. And, and, and you know, I, I look at and they tell me about their value system and what they teach their kids and uh, they're great leaders and they have solid lives. And, and it's because of a lot of the lessons that I was able to give them 
because I was taught them. I can't take credit for all these things. They were things that people taught me and I was just passing on what people had taught me. Um, and that's, that's in my mind, the greatest successes that I've been able to have. It's insightful that you talk about the lives you've impacted as being what's most memorable or most inspiring to you. I certainly would feel the same way. And I think that everybody, whatever job or career you're in, has a chance to make a difference in other people's lives. And most of the people that are listening to this are probably either leaders in Vector or reps in Vector or leaders in some other walk of life. And there's an old Jim Rohnism where he says, help people with their lives, not just their jobs. And if I were to give instruction to people about how they could be more impactful in people's lives, it's the idea that you're not just there to work with people, but people are working so they can live their dreams and achieve their goals. And a leader should be in tune with what are the dreams and goals of our people and what are some ways we can help them personally to grow and to become more successful. And if you're a leader that runs meetings or events, you know, instead of just talking business the whole time, have something that you can share that uh, helps people with life skills and personal development. And in doing that, you build a loyal following and you'll have those feelings that, you know, early that you described of really, really impacting people. Like that is powerful. To that point, one of the, my favorite authors is John Maxwell. And he has a book called 360 Degree Leadership. And he wrote the book because he would give these talks and people would say, this is great stuff. I wish I was in a position of leadership. And he goes, no, everybody's in a position of leadership. You can lead up, you can lead sideways. Leadership is just about providing value to people and helping them move forward from wherever they are. And so that's why he wrote that book. And I think you're so right where we, we have a chance, regardless of what our position is in an organization, to lead people. I know that there have been many times where I was running an office where the people, there were people underneath me. I would pick Mar as one of them that I had mentioned that, that, that led me, that led me to be better because uh, they were a positive influence on my thinking or my, my attitude or something at that point. And so I think if, if everyone who's in an organization can take that attitude, we, we positively impact each other and create a, a healthier environment for all of us to grow up. Yeah, leadership is about providing value and helping people move forward from wherever they are. I believe that's how you put that. That was great. And if we, yeah, in, in any organization, if everybody can adopt that attitude, then there's, there's not just one leader in an organization, but there's a group of leaders who are all trying to impact people. That creates a combustible energy and culture on any team that helps everyone on that team to rise. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, strong. What are some other uh, things you're proud of in your work, in your life? In my life, I'm proud of my family. Uh, I'm proud of the uh, wonderful relationship I have with my wife. We'll, we're married 22 years this year. Uh, and so that's exciting. Congratulations. Um, and three you. kids, right? Three kids. We have kids. three kids. Yeah. Can I use 18? She turned 18 like two weeks ago. Uh, Earl, who's 14. And then my youngest, Kaylee, is 10 years old. What do you think being a vector manager has taught you about being a better parent? A lot. Um, I, I remember when I was younger, I would hear Al DiLonardo, who is now the CEO, say things like, I really think being a manager with Vector can really teach you a lot about being a good parent. And I, and I, I, I couldn't connect at the time, but, but now I, I completely get it. And I try and teach the same thing to people who work with me. You know, I am conscious of the values, the traits and habits that I'm creating in my kids 
um, uh, along with my wife. So things that I learned at Vector that I try and bring to them would be some, something simple as goal setting, how, how to set goals. Now, I, I'm not going to tell you my kids are great at goals, but they understand what it means to set a goal, how to set a goal. And, um, and we, we do it, we do exercise as a family. They, they make, they, they, they laugh and kind of make fun. Like, all right, you know, like, so we sit around the table and it's like, all right, what are our goals for the year? And what's going to take for you to achieve that? And what does it mean to have a goal versus a wish? And so, you know, that's a conscious decision. My hope is that I didn't learn this concept until, I mean, I had heard of goals before, but no one really showed me how to do it until I was in Vector. So that was like the end of my sophomore summer. And then I was like, all right, so I, I understand now there's a method to doing this. It's not just saying, hey, I want to be a millionaire by the time I'm 25. It's like, all right, so what does that mean? You know, and how do you do, how do you get there? And, you know, when my son says, I want to, you know, start in baseball. Okay, well, what do you have to do to get there? And, and so I think goal setting. Part of that is though, teaching them how to, how to you know, deal with failure, that failure is normal and that it can actually be good for you. And because from our failures, we will often learn what we need to grow to succeed in the future. Um, you know, encouraging them to go after their dreams, but not, not being like, that it's okay in life to fall short. Um, I remember watching my son try out for a travel basketball team three years in a row and not making it. But, but and then still trying out and made it on the last chance to make it and 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 we talked about that experience. He goes, "Yeah, I don't understand when someone's just afraid to fail." I'm like, "Well, maybe you have that in you." I like to think I maybe taught him a little bit of it, but it's 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 okay to fall short. You know, it's 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 better to go for your dreams and fall short than than not go after your dreams. And so, learning how to deal with that, he actually said to us uh, something that made you proud as a parent. You know, Dad, I'm really I'm really. Uh, you know, one of the things I love is that if I get a bad grade, you don't really come down on me. And I said, well, you know the rule, right? The rule is, did you give your best? It's not about the grade. It's about whether or not you, you gave your best, you know? And, and so teaching them something, what giving your best effort is more important sometimes than the, than the result, you know? And, and so these are all lessons, the lessons that you and I just talked about. Always, you always need to be growing. Like, so as you know, hey, you, go, you don't go to school to get grades. I'm, I'm sending you to school so that you can grow, so that you can become a stronger person. I want you to go, you know, and, and take challenges in your life so you can grow and become a stronger person. And these are all philosophical concepts that I got from not just working at Vector, but reading while I was working here. Things that I was reading stuff that was teaching me how to be better. And these are things that I taught to the people that were working for me. And so when I became a parent, I said, I need to start teaching these things you know, being uh, intentional about teaching these things to my kids, right? Um, I would say one of the the uh, the proudest things that I I'm, 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 I, I talked to them about being a leader, and you know, we just talked about leadership and how leadership really is a choice you can lead from everywhere, you know, and and so I encourage them like, hey, whatever team you're in, whatever group you're in, try and be in a leader. That doesn't mean you're trying to tell everybody what to do. It means you're trying to be a positive influence on the situation. You're trying to add value. You're trying to bring energy. You're trying to be a good example. And I, I, I said, you know, I think you're, I think you have, you have the ability to be a strong leader. And I, and, and so I, I forget what book I read that in, but teaching kids when they're younger, having them think like a leader, they start to realize that that's just something that, 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 that they should do. And they, to, they totally stand out compared to other people around them. Uh, you know, so my son's on a high school baseball team for JV. He doesn't start, but he's probably the most vocal person on the team. And it's, 
I've had coaches say to me multiple times, like, you know, I really appreciate the energy that your son brings. And I'm like, that's a conscious choice. He chooses to do that, you know? And so that's one of the things. Uh, um, so being very intentional about the lessons that I teach. Wow. Wow. So much good stuff right there. You know, my kids are a lot younger than yours. Mine are only five and two. And the two-year-old copies the five-year-old so much, like just emulates her. And just last night, you know, the five-year-old comes running down the hall after bedtime and says, you know, I want more water. And the two-year-old comes running behind her with his water cup in his hand. I want more water. Like even something that maybe he didn't want, he just literally just copies her. And it's such a great opportunity for me to say, do you see how other people are watching you? And they're doing what you do and they follow what you do. And it's so important to be setting a good example and to be the things you said about like being on a team and bringing energy and, you know, being positive around other people and all those things. Like we have a great opportunity to influence people to lead others and inspire others. And you mentioned earlier today that, you know, everyone leads no matter what role you're in. You got that from John Maxwell. Like that was so great. I would say the other thing that I think has helped me be a good parent is. I learned as a leader that it's okay to be wrong. And when you're wrong, that you need to own up and apologize. And I would say, I've done this when I, when I mess up, when I'm the one who's wrong, when I'm the one who let the ball drop or didn't act the way I was supposed to, I will own up to it with my kids. And I think that has gotten me a tremendous amount of respect from them because it's not about being perfect. It's about being genuine. Mm. And uh, so whether, let's say I lost my cool as an example, um, and for the people who work with me, they'd be like, you lose your coal, <laughs> me at home with my kids and I can lose my coal. Right. You know, and, and maybe they're needy, and, and Hey, you're right. I shouldn't have lost my coal. So that was, that was wrong of me. I'm sorry. Let's start over again. Let's, let's have a do over, you know? And so I would say that's another great thing I learned about parenting, you know, from being a leader. It wasn't something I was always good at, by the way. Fantastic. Really good stuff, Earl. So I was just saying that the podcast is about changing lives. And as you look ahead, in your career, in your life? What are some of the ways that you aspire to continue to change people's lives through your work or through your influence? Well, my personal mission, Dan, in life is to use the gifts that God has given me to help people expand their potential and achieve more in their life. So, so that's what gives me energy. It's, it's why I love what I do. It's why I help coach some of my son's sports teams. It's why I lead a men's group at church. It's, it's like, like, like I love to be able to help people expand their potential. And, and so when I think about my position, um, that's what gets me excited to go to work. It gets me excited of, of, you know, Hey, can I impact a group of people to expand their potential, realize their potential and develop it in themselves? Now, regionally, I've, I've, I've made a region mission statement where our region mission is to, you know, obviously from a business standpoint, build a growing, sales and recruiting organization, but with the purpose of helping people develop personally, professionally, and financially. And so, you know, when I think about either events that I plan or the coaching conversations that I get to have or the messages that I get to give, you know, my goal is to, to teach a lot of the lessons that I just talked about in parenting, you know, to a group of people, uh, regardless of their position with us, so that if they're with us for a year, two years, five years, that they have developed personally, they've developed professionally, and they've developed financially. You know, and and I would say the biggest thing I want them to walk away with is a a stronger understanding of of success. And we've talked a lot about it in the in the podcast, but 
I'm a big believer of the, the quote, success is a journey, not a destination. So success isn't a certain amount of money that you have. It's not about a position that you get. It's not about a sales amount. It's about the life that you're building that helps you achieve those things. And so, um, you know, the lessons that I try and teach, you know, uh, so our banners behind me here. And if you could see our banner, you would see there's a sign that says, be aggressive about growth. So that was, I talked about my defining moment. So one of my key themes is, that you should always be aggressive about growth because I agree with you. You're either growing or you're dying. So if you don't choose to grow, if you're not aggressive about growing, what happens is you just automatically start going backwards. And whenever you think you are going flat, whenever you think you're staying the same, you're actually going backwards. You just don't realize it. You know, um, Our region theme is the Northeast Warriors. And that idea is you have to fight for what you want in life. You have to fight for your goals. You have to fight for who you become. Like Life isn't easy. It's not, it's not given to you. There's going to be ups and downs and obstacles. Again, it's okay to fail. Success doesn't happen overnight, but, but you have to fight for what you want. And, and if you fight for what you want and you give your best on a consistent basis, you'll create more success, even if you don't hit every single goal. And that's the idea of, of being a warrior. And then the last thing was something that we brought up as well, which is teamwork that you're going to get a lot farther if you're not trying to do it all by yourself. That if you're trying to work with others, asking others for help when you need it and helping others when you can, you're going you're gonna to get further along. Um, and so if, if I can develop a group of leaders, whether they stay in the company or not, that, uh, that, that you know, it, buy into these philosophies and then go teach them to other people and act them out. And then I, I believe that's how I want to use my, my career in life to, to impact the world. Awesome, Earl. Uh, just such good stuff. I really appreciate it. You know, you're a Hall of Famer in our company. You have a legacy that you've built. You've influenced the Northeast region. You've influenced the Southwest region. You've influenced the Midwest region. You are one of the most respected leaders in Vector Marketing and Cutco and really, truly have earned all of the success and all the accolades that you've achieved. And I'm proud to count you as a colleague and a friend. Thanks. And uh, really, really appreciate the time you spent here today. Thanks very much. I appreciate you having me on. It was great to talk. And I love this podcast and what you're doing. I can't wait to listen to the next episode as well. So cool. All right. Thanks, Earl. Hi, everyone. This is Kennedy Kelly. And Earl Kelly is my dad. I've had the chance to live with his leadership philosophies for my whole life. And I really wanted to emphasize some of the lessons that he shared today. My dad is the prime example of a fantastic leader, but with being a leader comes many challenges, including the mentality of a need to be perfect and never fail. But if he has taught me anything through his actions and words, it is that failure is okay and normal. It helps us realize what we need to improve on, and as long as we put in the action to achieve our goals and give our best, that's all that matters. Because oftentimes, it's not about selling the most or getting the best grades or making the most money or being number one. It's about the journey you took to get there. It's about the journey to becoming the best version of yourself. Because being a leader isn't about being in charge or bossing people around. It is about impacting those around you, changing their life path, helping them set and reach their goals and being genuine with them. Anyone can be a leader, 
if they are working to becoming the best version of themselves. Recently, after my dad recorded this interview, I started selling Cutco myself. I've sold $54,263 already, and now I'm following in my dad's footsteps and serving in the role of a branch manager this summer. There are three lessons I've learned from my dad that I've applied to succeed in Cutco so far. Stepping into your vision to keep yourself focused on growth and positivity. Spreading love and good energy to impact and lead those around you every single day. And that life is about the journey, not the destination. Every experience is just growth towards becoming the best version of yourself. So trust in the plan that God has in mind for you and work towards becoming the best you can possibly be every single day. Thanks for listening to my dad's stories and lessons and supporting this podcast. Go make today the best day of your life. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.